This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And welcome to our June bonus episode. Uh, It is Andrew's turn to read the book this week. Andrew, what did you read? I read a book called Aristotle Detective by Margaret Duty. Why did you say? Why did you go over a hill in the middle of the title? When I when I said Aristotle Detective, yeah. So the name of the book is just Aristotle Detective. It's not like Aristotle, comma, Detective or Aristotle, colon, Detective. It's just Aristotle Detective, which makes it sound like that's his name. Like, hi, I'm Mm. Aristotle Detective. This is my wife, Margaret Detective. Oh, weird. (laughs) How are you? Yeah, it's not Aristotle Detective and the whatever... Um, it's not, I think there are other books in the series. So this book was published in 1978. Um, and then we went like 30 years until we learned more about what happened to Aristotle. Um, other books include Aristotle and poetic justice. See what she did there. Aristotle and the mystery of life, Aristotle and the ring of bronze. And, um, and then there are others, a poison at Athens, uh, mysteries of Eleusis, Aristotle and the Egyptian murders in a cloudy day in Babylon. Um, people in the chat saying, I'm not here. I'm I think here. it was just a minor Hangouts thing. You fixed it. There they can. I fixed it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So the original was published back in um, 1978. Yes. Um, and it seems, from what I can tell, it seems like it's mostly been forgotten to the the sands of time or whatever the phrase is well, so it's I, got like it doesn't have a lot of amazon or goodreads presence i guess um yeah i was reading a little just, bit yeah, about ahead. where the book came from so duty herself is a canadian author um a literary critic and a professor of literature at a number of places um including having started the phd in lit program at notre dame um but she wrote this book and submitted it to a like historical fiction contest in the seventies uh-huh. um, that was run by a publisher called Bodley Head, and uh, it was published the next year because she got second place. That's a pretty cool deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that publisher got consumed by another publisher, and the new agent who was responsible for her wasn't into books about Aristotle solving crime. I guess. <laughs> And then it took like 30 years for some Italian company to start to like publish Aristotle Detective and it like took off. So then she started writing the books again. Sure. Um, And yeah, she, um, as I said, she got her doctorate from Oxford in the 60s. She was teaching at Princeton in the 80s. Yeah, so that's that's another major episode of her oh, yeah. life, in addition to the Aristotle Detective series. <laughs> so she taught at Princeton from uh, 76 to 89, but there is so, uh, and she ended up resigning. So the deal with this was there was another professor named uh, Thomas McFarland. He was mm. a scholar of Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And I know that he was a scholar of that because even after all this happened, he was still widely recognized for his scholarship, on Samuel Taylor Coleridge, so oh neat, 
cool. You can't do anything too bad, I guess. So this dude, McFarland, was accused of sexual assault by a male student. Mm. Um, and at the end of all that, he was placed on a one-year suspension. So duty, uh, Sandra Gilbert, Valerie Smith, and then the department chair, Emery Elliott, all resigned because they thought this punishment was too lenient. Um, and then McFarland, as a result of these resignations and some student boycotts, uh, ended mm. up ended up taking early retirement anyway. So still, you know, not not quite resigning in disgrace, but pretty close. Yeah, the the point was made. Um, yeah, and then folks, from yeah. after since then, or I don't I don't know if there was there was an intervening period where she did something else, but um, she's currently at Notre Dame. Like yes. I think you said, and she um, helped found the PhD in literature yes. program there. So good job. Yeah, um, she also wrote a book in 1996, which I kind of want to pick up and dip in and out of, um, called "The True Story of the Novel." Uh, it was nominated for a National Book Critics Circle Award, and it argues against the narrative that the novel was invented in 18th century England um, with like our friend Daniel Defoe uh, and some other people. And argues for the inclusion of narrative fiction all the way, you know, going all the way back to antiquity and cult, you know, non-Western cultures, non-European cultures, um, and that the British interpretation of what the novel is kind of forced us into this realism mode that you know you can see even with how like Treasure Island is written and stuff like that, um, and Moby Dick things like that, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it just sounds like an interesting work of literary criticism that maybe presents some stuff that like non English speaking European people know pretty well, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but making that argument from within within that academic sphere seems important. Uh, I read a yeah, couple right. reviews of it that are like, "It's a long and winding book, but <laughs> presents some interesting ideas that you can you know pick up a chapter here and there." Uh, so that sounds pretty cool. She founded the the PhD program that we've mentioned based on this idea that like uh, you should be studying literature in more than one language um, and getting away from like controlling what is and is not literature just on yeah, that and, eurocentric and lens. And I think there's been, or I hope there's been more of a pushback in academic circles to that dead white male canon. I know we like at the, when we started this show, we were not really thinking about it a lot. So I think we dipped into yeah. it a lot more than we do now. Um, and that's not to say that canon doesn't have value, especially because the fact that it was a canon meant that it had outsized influence on a lot of the rest of literature that exists. But, um, but yeah, it's just it's like do something else, everybody. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to, because we're doing this, we're recording this in front of a rowdy chat room of a bunch of yabos. Yes. Um, I wanted to bring up that the author's name is Margaret Duty. Many mm-hmm. of our listeners are like, oh, her name is Duty. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Everybody just please grow up. Come on. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the 300 and something episodes of our podcast that make you think that that would be appropriate here, but. Yes. Come the, on, guys. Being the number one podcast for teens means that we take <laughs> things very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of hang on. Just like calm down, everyone. Yeah, her name is Duty. Come on. Deal with it. Duty, duty, duty. Um, the book in question, Aristotle Detective, comes from, uh, she said she was reading, this is an interview with Shots Magazine, 
which is like Ooh, sounds a, fun a zine for crime fiction uh and she was talking about reading aristotle's rhetoric in translation like you do because she didn't read greek at the time right and this is a quote from her. I was thinking how Aristotle was so unillusioned about human behavior, what people do and how people will wrong others if they can. And I thought that all the stuff that Hobbes made such a song and dance about, Aristotle takes for granted and does nothing. I thought that somebody should write a detective story in which Aristotle was the Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know she says that the first like, book she ever read was a collection of Holmes stories and moved on to Agatha Christie. Uh, so it's in that, it's in that oeuvre, it's in that mindset, it seems. Now, Andrew, you were a classics major. Uh, I was, but I was more of a Latinist, so I get to just, I get to play out my ignorance this week. Aw, oh, dang, I, dang it. Okay, what, what do you know about Aristotle? Because I have a short list and maybe we put, pulled the same facts. He was a philosopher, Oh, yep, that's he lived right. From around 384 to 322 BCE. Yep. And along with Plato, he shares the title Father of Western Philosophy. Nito. Did you know that his name means the best purpose in ancient Greek? I did not know that. Do you know what Andrew means? I think it means like manly. It does. I looked all this up. Andrew <laughs> means manly or masculine. Um, Alan means harmony or noble, also fair and handsome. So you, you're pretty well set. I'm a manly, handsome boy. Um, Craig means... Uh, it just of, means rock, doesn't it? It means rock. Um, <laughs> William means resolute protector, uh, and Mylan means loving, kind, or gracious. So I am a, you're a loving, loving... protective rock, rock. Like the rock from Miss Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Yes. I That's am, what I think about when oh, I think of you. It's just a come, hang out in, come hang out in the lee of my stone. You gross. Ew. <laughs> uh, other things about Aristotle. His dad was a doctor to the king of Macedonia. So, and I think he was like from that region. So he's got all sorts of Macedonian baggage. Um, he did move to Athens where he studied with Plato. Uh, he became the tutor to Alexander the Great in 343 BC. Also tutored uh, Ptolemy and Cassander. Uh, he had a falling out with Alexander when Alexander started hanging out with the Persians, uh, who Athens, who uh, Aristotle thought were pretty barbaric and worthy of conquest. Yeah, people in this book don't like the Persians very much. Okay, okay. Um, That's one of the worst things you can do to somebody is call them a, they, like they fight for the Persians. Really, they love the Persians. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, then in the three thirties, it's weird to count down in time. Um, in the 330s, he went back to Athens, Aristotle did, started his school, the Lyceum, and that's where we get a lot of his writings. I just have a note here that says, if it exists, Aristotle had opinions about it. Um, one of the first bloggers Aristotle was. Uh, <laughs> his collected works are referred to as the Corpus Aristotolicum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, um, I'm just imagining Aristotle as a vlogger now. <laughs> hey, guys, what's up? Like, hey, what's up? It's Aristotle sixty nine. I'm gonna do um, a video here on to ethics talk to today. you about this these bronze weapons. <laughs> Hit like and subscribe on my biology videos. Uh, <laughs> I learned that elephants have less kids because they're bigger. That's a real thing. He did notice uh, patterns in <laughs> animal size and gestation. That video um, got a ton of views. It went viral. It, yeah, it, it did. Wild. 
we started really reading Aristotle in Western Europe uh, after like Thomas Aquinas and some folks in the 12th and 13th century, uh, translated from Latin, all that jazz. Um, some of his works just have pre, like, I'm just looking at a list. Uh, one of them's just called Topics. One of them's one of called... Books. Yeah. <laughs> it's just called <laughs> Topics. Um, one is, like, un- under his animal stuff. you got the history of animals. you got parts of animals. You've got progression of animals. And then there's a bunch of works in his, nat- like, little physical treatises that are all crossed out because they turned out to be written by someone else. And then there's just a book called Problems. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Do you think it's about big, like, vexing problems of mankind, or do you think it's just about Aristotle's problems? I think it's just Aristotle's problems. Man, my foot hurts. Uh, Nobody, like, YouTube took all my ad revenue away. I can't. (laughs) It sucks. (laughs) This bird took a dump on my head. I was trying to study its dump, and it dumped on me. Um, And then he's got stuff like... with the potty humor. What do I have to do to get you to keep it out of the dang gutter? Sorry, sorry. Uh, And I am familiar with Aristotle's Poetics. It was a book I was forced to read in college that taught me everything I know about what an old man thought about theater. Um, Wow. If only only there was still somebody (laughs) doing that important work. Uh, So, yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't think that's what we need to know about Aristotle for today. Aristotle, just regular flavor Aristotle. Aristotle classic. Yes. Um, I do want you to tell me about Aristotle Detective starting now. Okay, so what do you want to know about Aristotle Detective? Well, I guess I can just tell you what the book's about. The book's about (laughs) Aristotle. He's a detective. Actually, it's not that much about him. So it's mainly about this guy named Stephanos. Oh. And Stephanos is a citizen of Athens. He's got land. He's not like super rich or super well off, but he's doing okay. Okay. You know, he's not a slave or a, you know, a dock worker or something. He can vote. Yeah, he can vote. Okay. Um, And his dad has died pretty recently, and he doesn't really have any other male relatives who are of age, except for his cousin, Philemon, who was, um, who was banished from the city, exiled from the city. That's the, there's the word I was looking for because he like killed a guy in a fit of passion. And so, because it wasn't like premeditated or whatever, the people in Athens, I guess, were like, you can live, but you just can't do it here. <laughs> oh, okay. And you can't come back. And you can't have any... Well, they didn't even take his stuff away from him. They take, didn't take his land or anything. They were just like, you go away now, and your family just takes care of your stuff. Okay. Um, which is like a pretty bad punishment, but there's always a chance later on it could be like rescinded or something. So it's not uh, it's not the worst thing in the whole world sure, that can happen sure. to you. Um, so Stephanos has to take care of his family now and he's got money problems. He's kind of wondering about, he's thinking about getting married and he's out one night taking a stroll to kind of think about his problems mm-hmm. when he hears a commotion and he runs and goes into this guy's house and it turns out that this guy named Butades, who has been murdered, a murder Uh-oh. most foul. A murder most foul. Um, I'm just, man, this chat. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Lots of people making Aristotle jokes in the chat Jordan right now. Jordan says, I would definitely read issues, but only if it were published in a serial format so I could read the issues, issue of issues. <laughs> so, just going to shut the chat down. 
it's not allowed anymore. <laughs> so, so did Butades, he know this guy? Did he know Butades? He knew him in the sense that he was a prominent citizen of Athens. Like you okay. get the sense that they all like. It's a city that's small enough, at least in this book, that everybody kind of knows each other and knows everyone's reputation. So Butades is a moneyed guy. He's doing pretty good. Um, and so, he, yeah, he eats it. He's been shot in the neck, like, with an arrow. I was going to ask, with a gun? No. He's been shot <laughs> with a gun. So it is. So it, it's not this, very historically accurate. He's so it's worth pointing gun. out, like this is literally taking place in Greek antiquity. Like there's no, it, it's not an update. Yeah, it's of, not like Aristotle time traveling or anything. It's he's just, not like a brooding guy in a trench coat named Ari- who calls himself Aristotle. Like it is legit taking place in old timey Athens. Yeah, this is old timey, old timey Athens, old timey Greece, the time of Aristotle. And okay. So, like I said, I, I was more of a Latinist in college, and we're doing Homer time, but that's still pretty far removed from this. Like, even even in this time, that was sort of mythical. Yes, true. So stuff pretty much everyone was expected to know, and there are references to the Odyssey and Iliad scattered throughout this thing, but... Um, in that way that you and I just make Seinfeld references, or whatever we need to make to get by sure, in our conversations with sure. each other. <laughs> Seinfeld, a modern day odyssey. That's what um, the actual subtitle was. <laughs> but the the other thing I, I noticed, and, and I can't tell if it stopped doing this so much toward the end of the book or if I just got kind of used to it, but mm. something I noticed as I started reading it is that it is written in a style that evokes, I don't want to say poorly translated, but very literally translated Greek interesting okay so here's like my mother had no brothers and my father's brother had died so i was the governor of the home with a heart still sore for the loss of a beloved father i had to listen to steward's tales of sheep and butter and olives um so like you with a heart yeah. still sore for the loss of a beloved father like that's very literal translation yes stuff. and and in that way that like because where you might like more natural language would be like my heart ached for a for my yeah my beloved father for whatever there's there's almost a kind of like perfunctory poetry to it because it's it's just kind of blunt language but it's not florid it's not smooth well it's sort of in the in the style of the artificially heightened yeah translations of like the iliad and the odyssey that we've talked about a bit yeah that's that's very good point stuff yeah okay so again we're hanging out with stephanos this guy beefed it Butades beefed it. Okay. He is in the uh he's so he's in the middle of the room of his house. He's like in this pool of his own blood and there's blood all soaked into his sandals and a lot of people from who happen to be around town are here and kind of witnessing this. And then this guy um Polygnotos or Polygnatos or something. Okay, pick one. A lot of Greek a lot of Greek names. <laughs> um <laughs> He is Butades, I think his um, cousin or his nephew or some a, a family member of some renown. Okay, who is like helping to put on this big old show in Athens, and like it's it's one of those things that happens rarely enough. Where if you help to put it on and it's and it's a success, and it's a success, it will establish your reputation for like the rest of your life. Basically, okay, cool. Um, you're that guy who threw that sweet party. I'm going to hire you for my law firm, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I would have been fine in ancient Greece is what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I have a perfect yeah, understanding. Okay. I don't know. I think you would have been involved in the theater scene. Which and means like I would have a bunch of wiener yeah, jokes, which in plays is also all the time. not great because then, like the Romans come in, and actors are worse than slaves. So, it's a bad way. Um, so Polygnatos is Butades' nephew. Okay. okay. Um, he's a little bit older than Stephanos, but he's of higher stature. Like I said, he's got the money to throw that big boss party. Um, it's going to go pretty good. Great. Um, and Polygnosos is very sad, and then eventually he asks everybody to clear out. So what what's happened is um, this guy who nobody really takes seriously, he's kind of a, you know, that person who hangs around and you don't really want him to hang around, but you don't, you feel bad kind of telling him to stop hanging around. <laughs> and I, he's kind of annoying, like, you know, that guy. I'm making a face like I've never met someone like that before. And I'm making a face like I've never feared that I am that person before. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that guy is like, oh, I, I saw him. He, he shot him through the window and he ran away. And then there's a slave who like runs after him and makes a big show of running after him. But nobody quite knows who he is. They go and investigate the courtyard, and there's like a broken tip of a bow out there and a little piece of pottery that Stephanos finds later. Okay. Um, And so, and everybody clears out, and and there's some muttering like, oh, maybe a slave did it. I don't know who did it. Like, nobody quite knows who did it. And the next day, there's like the town crier or whatever he is, (laughs) he he says, hear ye, hear ye, Um, Butades died. And it was Philemon did it. Whoa. The guy who, uh, Stephanos' cousin, who was supposed to be exiled from Athens. Interesting. And so it falls on Stephanos as his, like, next of kin, like his adult male next of kin, <laughs> um, uh-huh. <laughs> to uh, defend him in Athens' court and to see if he can he can get him off. Okay, so we're in the... Or we're in the order section of the Law and Order. We moved quickly into the second half of the Law and Order episode. Well, so if this is a Phoenix Wright game, right? Oh, to pick okay. a to pick a better known example, <laughs> um, the first like eighty five percent of the book is the investigation phase, and then the last fifteen. Well, I mean, you go into court a few times because there are, there are, like these four things. There's like the first thing where everybody's like where both sides get together in front of the judge and is like, this is what I think. This is what I think. Here's the evidence we have. Here's the witnesses we plan to call the defense we plan to use. And so they check in like that three times and then there's the trial. And you're talking about Phoenix Wright games. No, I'm talking about the book. The Phoenix Wright games are split up into investigation and court phases. And so I guess like the Phoenix Wright series of Nintendo DS video games, this book is split up into investigation phases and court phases. Perfect. Okay, great. Good to know what they drew on for their inspiration. <laughs> now, here's someone you haven't mentioned yet. I, I think you've heard of him. His name's Aristotle, and I hear he's a detective. Yeah, so I was just getting to him. I was okay. just getting to Aristotle detective. Stephanos doesn't quite know what to do. Because he, sure. like, he doesn't have a lot of means. He hasn't seen Philemon, his aunt, who is kind of sickly and who he thinks Philemon would have come to see if he had been in town, like swears up and down that he hasn't been back. Mm. Um, Got to check in with that and, auntie. 
he just he doesn't have anywhere to turn like everybody in Athens is sort of giving him the cold shoulder because like I said um this is a place where everybody knows everyone's reputation and even though Stephanos is in no way like implicated in anything um the rest of the town's like oh you're a murderer's cousin like get away from me I don't, <laughs> don't want to talk to you um so he goes to his old teacher Aristotle oh okay because he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. Like, it's not like he and Aristotle were super close or anything, but he was a very good teacher and he was good at like thinking things through. So Stephanos is like, eh, maybe I'll go pay my teacher Aristotle a visit. I'll talk to him. We'll see if he has any advice. Yes. Okay. That's good. Uh, so he goes, he goes to talk to Aristotle and Aristotle is, is so a lot of, what I can find about this book uses the Holmesian example. And I don't think that's a bad example. Like I don't, I don't think that's wrong. Sure. Because sure. Because Aristotle is kind of the expert and Stephanos is the Watson figure, but yeah. And that's a crucial element in most of those stories. Like I think there's only a couple that are actually told from Sherlock's perspective. Most of the time it's Watson. And I, that's, that's also a device that's not just related to specific like crime mysteries. I remember we both when we read um, Jekyll and Hyde. Like I ha- had not prepared myself for the fact that that was other people talking about Jekyll. You were expecting it to be more of a first person deal. Yeah, yeah, and I think partially that's a way to keep the mystery going. Right. It's also if you put us in Aristotle's Sherlock brain, like the book would have to have a better understanding of how he figures things out and it would might be harder to keep things uh, hidden from the reader or like keep the reader guessing. Right. Yeah. Um, so what is, what is, has Aristotle done work like this before? Is he just, I'm a smart guy. I'll help you. It's more of the second thing. So I was, what I was going to say was, um, it's not quite a one-to-one mapping because I think okay. Stephanos is more resourceful and useful to Aristotle than Watson often is to Holmes. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, at least in the adaptations of it that I have the most experience with, it seems like Watson is there for reasons that nobody can quite explain. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. okay. Um, and Aristotle is less active, especially early in the book he is kind of just sitting and hanging out and Stephanos goes and talks to him when he has new evidence or when like another one of the, or like another stage of the trial is, is imminent. So he's like coming to him for counsel. Like here's all the stuff I found out. What do you think? Right. But not, not until the end of the book is Aristotle actually going out and gathering evidence and helping Stephanos like actively figure out what, what is going on here. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's that's broadly the relationship, and especially once you get to the end, like the climactic court scene, it's just as much about evidence and how the evidence as presented as it is a, as it is about uh, rhetoric, which is a big Aristotle. Thing. Oh, sh- like the presentation of the arguments and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and so that that's where it, that's where the historical setting. Not even the historical setting. That's where the the decision to make it Aristotle detective instead of just. <laughs> The Greek, Greek mysteries, yeah, <laughs> comes comes home to roost. I think. Okay, so what what are the next like 
phases of the mystery do we get some different <laughs> suspects is it really just about exonerating the other guy well so the the initial defense philemon wasn't here so he couldn't have done it like that's their that's the first defense and that's like it's it's not a super strong defense but it's what they have and as long as it's true you know they have something that they can they can talk about but sure but it's you know they've got to prove a negative, and Aristotle says you know proving a negative that sucks. Like it's it's <laughs> really hard to prove a negative. We have like four months until the actual trial happens, so let's see maybe if we can gather some evidence and, and figure out who might have done it if if it wasn't Philemon. Okay. And so he counsels uh, Stephanos to disguise himself as a as a beggar or as like a lowly person. Mm. And go down to like the harbor and hang out among the among the people down there and see if he can find anybody who's seen Philemon or anybody who knows anything else about the about the mystery. Philemon's been out um fighting in the army of Alexander the Great. Alexander is mentioned like a bunch of times in this book, but is never like directly encountered. You spend okay. all, you spend almost all your time in Athens and a couple adjacent cities, but it's not it's not a war book. It's not it's a that. it's a backdrop to let you know he like here historically is what is going on. Sure, sure. Um, and so Stephanos finds after after a few visits, he finds that Philemon, uh oh, actually has a wife. What? And a kid. Oh no. And he didn't like tell anybody about it. That's... And so it's not like it's until Stephanos acknowledges her as Philemon's wife, like it's not even really official. Like legally he could deny it and just that she wouldn't have any standing or anything. Because it wasn't it wasn't done up right, like it wasn't done with witnesses or anything. They just they just went out into the woods and said we're married and then yeah, had a kid and I, about I think, it. Uh, this is a this is a bit of the book where I wish my Greek history was a little bit fresher because I, I do think duty takes some Margaret duty. The author of the book takes some pains to be like historically accurate. Okay. At least as far as how um, like inheritance would have worked and marriage would have worked her descriptions of, of what Athens was like and like the smells and the marketplace and the relationships between the, the slaves and their masters. Like it's all very, um, it's all very convincing. It's all very well done. So you're talking about she kind of dove deep on some of these legal issues as she understood them from research. Yeah, from what I can remember of Greek history, this this strikes me as at least trying to be accurate. Sure, sure. Um, um, but again, my Greek history is super <laughs> old and in way well, less practice than my Roman history is. So. Yeah, so she has this, there's a quote from the Shop Mag article um, which I just keep wanting to say that because it's it's a funny name for Shots. a zine. Shots Mag. Um, she's asked about like the representation of historical law and, and things like that. Um, and she says, um, an action has its... This also sounds like she is also Aristotle in this quote. So just get ready. Aristotle detective? Um, an action has its meaning given by the law and another meaning given by the culture and a third meaning given by the individual that participates in it. So it's a way of calibrating where we are in our society as we are creating it. And the instability of law itself comes out in detective stories. You can't have a good detective story without a legal system of some sort, I think, um, maybe a revenge system, but 
What revenge strategies usually show is that the cultural demand for revenge is overwhelming and legal attempts to regulate it are not going to work, so it has to be a bit of both. Um, so it seems like she's kind of getting at her interest in setting a detective story back here is like a way to explore how this culture built laws around its values and what what would something like a murder most foul do in this well, society I, I like that as a way to describe the specific like arc of a detective story because it's right it's not just about proving it it's about proving it in a way that the law will recognize as valid so yeah, yeah. that you can actually succeed within the system well, and so many of because the, if you do, if you can't mm-hmm. succeed within the system, then it might as well like you might as well not succeed at all. Yeah, so you get stories, and you know, we keep going back to Law and Order just because it's like a cultural behemoth, right? But um, there are so many of those episodes where someone is guilty, like the audience knows that a person is guilty, but the episode ends with the system being unable to convict, or the the witness can't come forward because it would put them in legal jeopardy. So someone or they're gets scared to come or, forward or yeah. 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 So or the, they, the inter- or they do other things that make them seem unreliable and yes. yeah, it's, it's a and whole thing. I like that. She also mentions the idea of revenge because that, that does serve as a motivator in a lot of crime fiction. And then it becomes like, did someone, did they maybe it, like the, the reader gets a sense that they had a moral right in what they were doing, but they are actually still committing the crime of murder or whatever it might be. Um, and the tension between those things can, can really help a character work for an audience. Um, okay. So secret family. Yeah. He has a secret family and guess what? His secret wife, whose name is Melissa, I think is, is pregnant again. Ooh. And she's like two months ish pregnant. So like he was around, yep. maybe. Yeah, he was around. Uh oh, he was still around. So, how much? Like, do you just want to run through the entirety of this of this mystery story? Uh, yeah, I kind of want to know how this goes. I kind of want to know like what Aristotle brings forward. Because otherwise, I I don't have. Like yeah. thematically or, or whatever, like I don't have a lot of other stuff to talk about. But no, if you want to go read Aristotle Detective, I don't want to ruin it for people. I think I I want you to ruin Aristotle Detective for me. And by ruin it, I mean actually just tell me what happens because I will enjoy it. And then I have to go read a bunch of other books for our podcast. So <laughs> it would be helpful for me to know what happens in Aristotle Detective. Okay, so... Let me okay. I'm trying to figure out how best to untangle everything because you you find out everything. It fits and starts. Some things come before other things, but what eventually is revealed to be the deal. Everybody in the chat is saying, "Spoil it, ruin it, kill it." Jumping dead. in to say, "Please ruin it." Okay. <laughs> um. So yeah, Philemon was definitely there, and Uh-oh. he was definitely around like the night of the murder. Okay. But what ended up being the case was that, so Butades, remember the guy who got murdered? Yeah. Had also met Melissa. Uh And was like not sexually obsessed with her really, but was just kind of obsessed with her. And ended up, like he wanted to adopt her and her son because he could not produce an heir with his wife. 
who also died shortly after he did. Okay. Of, po- of poisoning, I believe. Oh, dear. Um, and now, how do we, wait, how do we know that? Did we have, like, journals where he was like, I love Melissa? Or did people, t- like, tell on him in I'm, court? I'm getting there. Okay, 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 Craig, okay. I'm getting there. Ruin it. Kill it dead. Don't try and play Aristotle detective with me. I'm <laughs> I'm getting to it. There's only one Aristotle detective in this room. And it's Aristotle detective. <laughs> <laughs> okay, where was I before you interrupted me? Um, yeah, so Butades wants to, to adopt Melissa and the kid, and Melissa's like, well, I have a husband already, and it's Philemon, and Butades is like, cool, I'll adopt him too. It'll be cool. It'll be neat. We'll all be together. It'll be great. Um... And they have a like a draft drawn up on some tablets that Melissa has kept, and so that's what kind of proves okay that it was like it's again it's not a legal document didn't have witnesses, but it's definitely in Butades' handwriting um and it's like I don't know like why would Philemon do like why would he kill Butades if this was on the table basically okay yes um, yes, I'm gonna be this guy's sweet new son. So that my kid can have this guy's money. Now, Philemon's not interested, really, but Butades oh. is definitely interested. So okay. that's where kind of things are left off when Butades gets gets killed. Okay, great. Um, and then there's some other guys. Like, there are a couple guys who are just being really mean to Stephanos because, I don't know, <laughs> because he is... Stephanos keeps just barely managing to refute... Like Polygnatos and his guys, like their evidence during the little court check-ins. Is there like pressure to wrap this up? Is there like people who are like this? It's this guy. Come on, just like shut it down. Well, like there are definitely. So there's this this um this Greek guy. His name is something. <laughs> Do me another time code, would you? This Greek guy. That was the subtitle for Aristotle Detective you, originally. Eudicleides. Yeah. Um, who's No, Eudicleides. Eudicleides. Shut up. <laughs> uh, Eudicleides is another high up guy in Greek society, another guy with a lot more resources and recognition than uh, poor Stephanos has. Okay. Um, and he has some debt that Stephanos' dad owed him. And because Stephanos is making trouble for them, he's like, yeah, I need you to pay this debt plus all this interest. I need you to do it like pretty much right now. Ooh, cash so in those kind of put, receipts. He's putting the screws on on Stephanos and just trying okay. to tell him to mind his own business. And um, an Aristotle detective at one point is like, "Man, you've really you've you've made an enemy at some point because this this seems to be about you specifically now in a way that it." wasn't before you got yourself into the story sarah koenig way to go yeah you're too you're too deep stephanos oh no you're loose cannon <laughs> um okay so what have we established we've established that butades wanted to adopt philemon and the wife and the kid we have a, yes we've established that philemon was in town when the murder yes. happened making but, another kid making another kid <laughs> but um we find like the sailor uh, black market guy who says, "Oh yeah, Philemon, I like rode him out in a boat into the ocean or the sea or whatever, so he could talk with Butades about this adoption thing." So the like the night of the or like when the murder happened, I knew where he was. Like I'm a witness. I know what he was up to. Okay. Um, 
Is that incriminating or exonerating? It's exonerating. Okay. 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 Like, because w- when the murder happened, he was he knew that Philemon was not around to do the murder. Sure. 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 Um. And do we then, have any other suspects at this point? So, so there's the the Eudicleides guy. Um, okay. There's this other guy whose name I don't. It's. Something it's else Greek. All, some other Greek name. <laughs> and he's he's caught up in it because like he tried to sell or like Butati sold him a boat that sucked and it like sank. <laughs> and I can't believe you sold me this lemon of a boat. I'm gonna come for you. I'm gonna shoot you with an arrow through your window because I hate the boat you sold me. Oh man. Another used boat salesman bites it. Archimanos. Archimanos. Um, he was the guy, so he, Butati sold him this boat and it sucked. And then Archimenos, like he didn't discover that the boat sucked until he sold it to some like soldiers who came who back to him like, him. man, this boat sucks. What are you going to do about it? Oh, what a tangled web our boats weave. I know. Right. So, um, so it seems like, like maybe Archimenos did it. He's pretty unhinged. Clearly oh. had a reason to have beef with Butates. Sure. Sure. Um, Stephanos kind of makes fun of him at one point and then Archimenos like starts really pushing back on him really hard. Okay. Um, it might be, uh, Eudicleides. Like he seems kind of shady. I don't know. Yep. 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 So we have, we have other people who could have done it. That's important. Kind of need... float, who are kind of floating around and being mean to our protagonist. And so yes. we're trained to not like them very much because they're being mean to our protagonist. And that's always the, that's how these stories go, right? Is like there are legit beefs with the detective or the detective's assistant, which can be their own story arcs. Um, I'm remembering that from when I read A is for Alibi. Like there are individual character arcs that feel like they might pull into the main story, but maybe they're not. And like that's uh, that's a way to not necessarily present like directly misleading evidence, but just make the reader feel unsettled or and make the protagonist feel unsettled. Like what mm-hmm. is useful or not? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and um, and there's this whole little episode where. Um Aristotle detective is like, you got to get Melissa and the kid out of town because they're in, they're in danger clearly because Philemon's whole family is in danger. Um, and so, uh, Aristotle and Stephanos are trying to get them out kind of under the cover of darkness and they're attacked and the house is set on fire. Whoa. And the, one of the people who Stephanos ends up scuffling with, like he stabs him in the arm a couple times with a dagger he has, and then there's then then a slave of Archimenos is walking around a couple days later with a bandaged up arm, and so it's clear that like he's involved. Uh oh. Okay. Okay. Um. And does it is are we still is there like momentum building us towards a, tr- a climactic trial at yeah, this point? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because okay, the nadir of it kind of is. When we discover, yeah, Philemon was in town, uh-oh, our whole defense is shot now because I still haven't figured out anything else. Okay. And then Philemon shows up. Whoa. And is around. Like, he wanted to he wanted to see his wife and the kid, but they're, like, they're safely out of town. It's fine. So he goes to Stephanos, and he and Stephanos catch up, and he... And Philemon's kind of a doofus, but he's a likable guy. Like, he's, <laughs> uh, he's kind of rash, but he's lovable. Sure, you can maybe 
you can buy that he was not necessarily careful about some decisions. Yeah, definitely. Which which led to this predicament. Okay. Yeah, and so sure. Philemon, Stephanos is like, okay, man, just like hide in this cart of olive oil and cheese, and I'm gonna drive you out of town because I gotta sell this olive oil and cheese to pay off this debt to this guy who's putting the <laughs> screws on me. And they do this, and they have a, a kind of a heart to heart, and Philemon corroborates a lot of the story that Melissa is saying. So like, she doesn't seem like she's a gold digger or trying to extort anybody or anything. I was wondering about that. Okay. And he swears up and down. No, he didn't do it. Like he couldn't possibly have, he couldn't do it. He wouldn't have done it. Like, why would he do it? And that convinces Stephanos who kind of been wavering a little bit that no, he didn't do it. And so I have to, I have to like redouble my efforts here. Okay. Um, Man, there's the cheese cart thing is funny because he's got him like hidden under all this stuff. And and uh, Philemon is like, what if I have to go to the bathroom? And Stephanos is like, don't you dare pee on that cheese. I'll put this <laughs> jar here and you just wiggle it three times if you need to go to the bathroom. But make sure you do it like well in advance because I might need some time to like find a place where you can get out and go. <laughs> specific problem it's it's don't, pretty funny don't spoil the cheese i will find us a rest stop like, <laughs> we can eat some roy rogers oh man that's really funny it's pretty good okay so um, get us get us to the trial where aristotle saves the day i presume he saves the day so toward the end of the book here is where like it's where Stephanos is in more danger because he again gets attacked at night and like almost dies. Okay. Like almost died. It gets, it's so bad that most of the people in Athens do think he's just laid up in his house dying. And, and he oh, wow. kind of, he, he starts playing that up to ensure that people will not come and try to kill him again. That's a smart plan. Okay. And in this phase is where Aristotle is. Um, people in the chat asking if they ate any of the cheese. There was a little bit of squished cheese that they end up eating. So, like, oh, might as well eat it because we can't but sell Philemon it. But Philemon didn't like eat any of the cheese when he was back there. Okay, okay. <laughs> Good job, Philemon. <laughs> nice, nice one. Um, so, so Aristotle, Aristotle has has, has gone to go like gather some information, and he comes to Stephanos, and he's like, "Come with me." I had, there's one piece of evidence left that we need to grab and I need, I need some, I need a second person. I need someone to come help me. And so they go to Butati's grave. Okay. And they move the, the like monument that's like set up over where he's buried and they find in the dirt, these pottery shards. So you remember oh. back at the beginning when I told you that, uh, Stephanos found a pottery shard in uh, Butati's yard. I do remember that. Yes. Um, so that was good, like red Athenian clay. It was from a nice pot. And when Stephanos goes and talks to Aristotle, there's kind of this running thread where Aristotle talks about pots. And Stephanos is like, oh my God, why are we still talking about pots? <laughs> and so they find more of the, but that pot fragment had a little bit of something written on it. Ooh. And um, and so they find all of these pot fragments that go with the original one buried with Butades. And so they go like we don't it's, it's one of those things where the two characters know all the evidence, but they don't tell the reader the evidence. 
Oh, you like, know what I'm talking yeah. about? like they're like putting the pieces together and then there's like a shot of them grinning at each other and then fast forward to court to the court and then you find out what's happened. Okay. So, okay. So Brutanis had a nice pot. Yep. Like a really nice pot. Like everybody knew the pot. It was a good pot. He had some good pot. No, it was like a, like pottery. He had a dank vessel for had, water. Oh my God. He had this dank chalice, like a pot thing, <laughs> amphora, I guess. I don't know. Um, so people, like uh, Aristotle asked Stephanos a couple times, like, you were there the night it happened. Describe the scene for me. And the the pot was not there, mm-hmm. like, at the, like at that time when people were in that house. And it kind of went mostly unnoticed in the commotion, but consistently, like, that pot was not was not there. So what ended up happening happening is the person who shot Butades through the window at the bow. First, well, he didn't... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Gotta go back. <laughs> Come on, Aristotle. Had, they had said that Butades was shot through the window with a bow and arrow. But mm. that couldn't possibly be true because you can't see the pot from the window and the pot got broken. And so oh. that's... like There was no blood on... Butades desk like I don't know it's just the where the body made where the body was didn't make sense I'm not describing it very well but Aristotle (laughs) knows physics like he could look at a room and be like this arrow doesn't make sense sure kind of yeah um so what ended up happening is um it was Polignatos did it what he did it no because why because he knew Butades was trying to adopt Philemon and the kid and if he did that, then all Butades' riches oh, will go to them instead of to him. Snap! Yeah, so Butades broke the pot by accident but and then kept the pot fragments because he needed to make a copy of it. Like, there's this big climactic thing where they bring in the, like, they're like, bring in the pot from Butades' house. <laughs> and they bring it in and they make a little shaving off of it. And it's not good red Athenian clay in there. It's like yellow garbage clay. Okay. And then they tracked down the guy who made it and was like, yep, I made that pot. And Butades told me to do it, and he used a false name. Or not Butades, Polignatos told me to do it, and he gave a false name. Oh, Um, okay. So, yeah, uh, Polignatos got the copy of the pot made, and then a slave who had kind of helped him, he had him carry around the shards of the pot until the new pot came, because he wanted to be able to replace that pot. Okay. either way. Sure. And then he had the slave bury the pot fragments after the new copy pot was the copy pot. <laughs> the copy pot was was made and in the house and the like the evidence was hidden. And then he killed the slave, so there's no evidence of that. Well, that just okay. And Aristotle was just like, oh, because I'm a philosopher and I know how people's minds work, I knew that he would put the pot fragments with Butades in yeah, his grave. So that's it's what so. He did. Okay. All right. Great. So that we can kind of close on that. Like Aristotle, it's not just that he solved the crime scene. I presume he goes into even a short treatise about like why Polignites did it to like prove his case. Yeah, there's a little epilogue scene. So Stephanos is like, there's this whole... Um like basically training montage where Aristotle and Stephanos have all the evidence and they're like, well, if the, like if the witness is saying this, like let him talk because it'll make the jury like more sympathetic towards you and, and, and training him up, up to like not 
do bad rhetoric, basically, like a oh. good rhetoric montage because it's Aristotle. Yeah, I love. And then there's a little there's a little uh, coda scene with Stephanos and Aristotle where they um, they talk about how he almost got away with it and and what his like what his fatal mistakes were and blah blah blah. Huh. Okay. Well, it sounds like it was a fun book. It is not unpredictable. Yeah, of course. Okay. Did and you find? Did you couple, figure it out early? No, I didn't. I didn't figure it out early. No. Okay. Well, I don't know. I I had my suspicions because Polygnatos would just seem kind of above it all. But when you say predictable, you also mean like the way it rolled out was little, not yeah, the unsurprising. Way it rolled out, and you knew like Philemon didn't do it. You knew it the whole time that Philemon didn't do it, even though he looked in the middle like maybe he did it. He definitely didn't do it. <laughs> Which is yeah. how a lot of these crime mysteries work, or even even stories where. The defendant, like early on, says he didn't do it, even though it really seems like he did it. Yes. And then there's the, the the part where the defense attorney's like, "Wait, maybe he did do it." And then you discover, "Oh no, he didn't do it after all." It's kind of a it's a familiar, well worn arc. I think. Yeah, it it maps onto a general like movie story arc that I am aware of. And once someone mentioned it to me i couldn't stop thinking about it is like about two-thirds of the way in is where you hit the part of the story where it seems like nothing will ever be good again like everyone kind of loses faith like that that the quest is gonna get resolved or something like that it's like halfway through is like there's a big climax and then there's a the fallout from that is that everything just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and then right at the end you have that like oh no but it was it's fine we're gonna make it um so yeah i could see it's useful to present all of the reasons why the defendant is lying to to make you maybe think but usually that happens early enough in the story that you're like nah they got time yeah and the 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 coda scene also is I don't. I I feel like it's a that that conversation right like after the main bit of the action is resolved, mm. is the part where the author gets to describe away the logical leaps that they made in how they got to the conclusion that they did. Yes, let me tell you, dear Stephanos, why I am the best. But things end up pretty good. Um, so Stephanos is, you know, he's doing fine. Philemon gets his banishment lifted. Hmm. Um, even though, you know, even though he was banished for another crime, like he did his, he did his time and their public opinion is in his favor since he was successfully exonerated. So he's back with the wife and the kid and, um, and the kid and the kid to be and the kid to be mm-hmm. and everyone's cool with Stephanos again. And even, uh, Eudicleides is like, yeah, I guess I was kind of a jerk. Here's the interest on that low and back. Oh, um, because Eudicleides, like he, he, he's not explicitly like a evil guy, but he is kind of a ladder climber, and so he's just gonna he's gonna blow the way public opinion blows. So when Polygnatos okay. was the was the up and comer, Eudicleides is like, yeah, I'm I'm on your team. Oh, that. But well. when when Polygnatos ends up being a murderer and running out of the courtroom <laughs> and hopping on a boat. And then the boat sinks and he dies because the gods just like meant it to be that way. Yeah, there aren't, are there cops in this universe? Like, is there, 
that's not no, really anything no, we've like talked the, about. The first part that may, maybe why that that is why there has not been a Law and Order Athens is because the first half of the show with the cops would not exist. It would just be some guy and Aristotle detective who is not even a cop. He's just a smart guy. Yeah. There's not like, they're not interfacing with uh, a, they're dealing with a legal system in as much as like a court and laws. Yeah. There are courts, but it's all, it's all comes down to there. There might be lawyers even, but it's mostly down to the families to kind of hash things out. There is no, there does not appear to be like a professional lawyer class. And certainly there's no, Athens PD, who is trying to like get in their way and and stymie their investigation. Yeah. Okay. There's yeah. Okay. There's not like a hard nosed cop that's like tainting evidence or anything no. like that. All right. Well, thanks for taking a trip to Athens for me, Andrew. Welcome. It was fun. Yeah. Aristotle um, detective. And thanks to uh, Nana from Denmark, actually, who recommended this book to us. Through our Patreon service. I would be really curious, Nana, if you're listening, to um, to know how you found it. Because I, sure. I did, I found this, um, the only real reference to the book I could find, like, review-wise or media-wise, is from this um, this blog in reference to murder, um, hmm. doing, a, like, a Friday Forgotten Books post about it back in, like, 2012. Interesting. Okay. Um it's like a short review, but it seems it seems like some people have read it and remember it and whatever, but that it's mostly fallen by the wayside. So I'm just curious how people discover this book now, aside from hearing about it on a hit. Yeah, there are other book podcasts. There are other like examples of historical crime fiction, which I didn't even know was like a real like a whole genre. <laughs> yeah, I don't think a lot um, of people were doing it back in like 1978 no. when when the author whose name is Margaret Duty mm-hmm. first wrote it. Yes, um, there's another author, Lindsay Davis, has a whole series about a Roman detective that I think like butts up against real people from history but is not based on a real person it's not like tacitus detective no but uh (laughs) paul doherty does have a series of historical mysteries one of which is uh a young alexander the great who has to solve a mystery um so there's it's out there you can find it alexander the great detective ah there it is um thanks everyone for joining us in our chat if you are listening to this after the fact, um, you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash overdue pod. If you have <laughs> other historical figures that you would like to like brainstorm with us about how they could be great detectives, um, send us your ideas uh, at overduepod at gmail.com, facebook.com slash overdue pod, or twitter.com slash overdue pod. Um, also, depending on when you're listening to this, we have a live show on June 23rd. It's Saturday, 1.30 p.m., Philadelphia Podcast Festival, bit.ly slash overdue 2018. Find out more. Be there. Join us. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com is an internet website. We got links up there to iTunes and RSS and Google Play. You can use those to subscribe to the show. And if you subscribe in iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, rate and review us because it helps. Just every little bit helps. Um, we've also got a link to our Patreon project, with, which we've mentioned a couple times. That's patreon.com slash overdue pod. You can give us a little bit of financial support if you want to, and you should want to. Because then you get stuff. Because then you get stuff. You get fun stuff. 
Uh, I think that's everything. Um, so next month's bonus will be a uh, another run of Stop Homer Time episodes. We'll, I think those will cover books four, five, six, and seven. Yeah. Um, you can hear our episode on books four and five up on Patreon now if you subscribe at the $10 or above level. Yeah, um, and you get those at the beginning of the month if you're at that level, and then you'll get those kind of combo episodes every other month at the end of the month. So, like, if you want to get in there early... Just you gotta, just do. Gotta, gotta help us out. Um, yeah, that's what I got. You that's good? what we got. Thanks everybody for joining us. Thanks for the live chat. It was super fun. Uh, and thanks to everybody else for listening. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next month, next week. Whatever. Aristotle Detective. Try to be happy. <laughs>